Hello, and welcome back to The Project Space, a podcast featuring some of the remarkable artists who have participated in the Project Space residency here at the Visual Studies Workshop in Rochester, New York. I'm Ernest Davis. I'm a photo-based artist and the assistant curator here at VSW. The Project Space residency has served both regional, national, and international artists for many years, providing a studio space and access to VSW facilities. This episode features a conversation between the artist Ana Paula Estrada and Tate Shaw, the editor of VSW Press. Ana was a remote resident in 2020 during the early months of the COVID pandemic. One of the outcomes of Ana's remote residency was an award-winning publication entitled, I Am Here. Ana talks with Tate about that work and how timely and relevant it was and continues to be. You will hear my voice only briefly during this conversation. I asked Tate to lead as host because he worked closely with Anna to produce the first two issues of I Am Here. Now, without further ado. My name is Anna Paula Estrada. I'm originally from Mexico. I was born in Mexico City and I grew up in, a, in another city called Cuernavaca, which is about two hours south from Mexico City. I um, lived on the Pacific coast after that, and then I immigrated to Australia around 13 years ago. I'm um, currently living in Brisbane, Australia. And how did you come to apply to the project space at Visual Studies Workshop? Um, I read about Visual Studies Workshop. Um, I came across a few documents about Ulysses Carrion, mm. and um, I read about his work in that space. And I was doing, at the moment, I was doing a research master's on book practice. And part of my uh, exegesis was examined by an American artist, um, Philip Zimmerman. Oh, okay. So uh, in his final comments, when he assessed the exegesis, he actually made a comment suggesting me to look into this residency. That's all super interesting because, okay, Philip Zimmerman's an alumni of Visual Studies Workshop from the MFA program back in the 70s. He was there in the late 70s, early 80s, but his work and some of the stuff that we've connected with over the years um, have to do with, you know, the book as photographic uh, and artistic practice. That was one of the things that really drew me to your your practice as an artist in the application. Can you talk about how you got into making books as, as artwork? Um, yeah, well, my background is in documentary practice. So most of my projects were kind of like same thematic. So I've been working on documenting stories of older people for about 10 years. But at the beginning, I was more into like more like formal documentary. So I was taking photographs, making portraits, writing little stories or more like captions, and then showing this work in gallery spaces or trying to, to get them published, maybe in magazines or newspapers or, or other publications. And then at some point when I was editing the work or selecting, you know, when you shoot a series of portraits and you're selecting from one image to another, I was looking at this series and it was like this portrait of this woman. And the, the difference between one portrait and another and the other was just like very slight. And I realized that that movement in her eyes and in her face was something that I was really interested in. And I also realized that the gallery space was not the space for me to show those slight changes in, in her gesture or in, in the light itself. 
So I started looking at books. So it was very specific. Like I, I just had like a very specific aim, which was I want to show the change in someone's um, gestures in the face. So that's how I made the first book. It's like, I want to show this thing. That's really interesting. How would you describe your practice now since uh, it, it's, I'm assuming, morphed over the years of, from the documentary style? And I don't know. That's a, that's a very hard question. Like I think conversation and dialogue is kind of like the base of my work. So pretty much everything that I that I create, like all the outcomes came from very long conversations. And when I say long conversations, I mean sometimes years of having conversations with uh, many times with the same person. So it's about building relationships and listening and, and then documenting and then transforming my relationships and the information into a material object, which is the book. And you were resident in scheduled to be a resident in October 2020, which obviously, yeah. Um, yeah. and also coming from uh, Brisbane, Australia to the United States at that time was uh, virtually impossible because of the widespread virus. And, um, so we determined to do that remotely. Could you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about your practice at that time? Yeah. I think I had seen some work that you were, uh, had already started publishing online, if I'm not mistaken, of mm -hmm some of these stories, uh, some of these uh, longer, longer form stories that you're talking about. Yeah. Before the residency, I was visiting people in their homes. So I was doing community work. I was visiting same people, mostly people were living alone. And I was just doing house visits. And then with COVID, COVID started exactly when I started my PhD work. And I was planning to start doing volunteering work in a, in a nursing home. So with COVID, all of that kind of like fell apart, the same as going to New York to do, you know, like a physical residency. And for a few months, I, I, I was just struggling. Like I thought, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe I can't continue my practice because most of my practice is about conversation and it's about actually interacting with people. And uh, eventually I started doing Zoom visits. So I was actually calling uh, residents in nursing homes via Zoom or via Skype. And that's how I continue my practice. And then when talking to you, Tate, when we came up with this other plan, which was the alternative plan, rather than doing the physical residency, you know, like doing like a remote residency where the outcome was publication, it actually uh, worked pretty well. Yeah, I thought so too. I mean, we had to migrate onto other platforms for uh, several residents, but in your case, the idea of having multiple publications around these conversations uh, came to fruition and it seemed uh, really ideal for a lot of different reasons. I mean, one of the big things that was occurring, obviously, in the in the media was the concern over aged people and care facilities and how the, yeah. the virus was most effective in those uh, facilities. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming that that was very much a dialogue. That, I mean, it's in the first publication that you created about ESTA. Uh, yeah. yeah, so the first publication I had those, I think, six weeks where they actually allowed me to go into the facility. So for six weeks, I visited Esther, uh, I think, twice a week. I, I started visiting her like five years ago. So it was already like a very established relationship. Um, it, was, it was tough. It was evident that, you know, HR facilities needed connection. And needed like to create like bridges, you know, with community because they were already isolated before COVID. With COVID, like it just highlighted how lonely those places can be. 
you know, it's crazy because actually the work opened a lot of doors for me. Like the work actually hi highlighted the importance of this type of community-based uh, art projects. And it was a, a great way to go into that space to make work. And, you know, like I think we always knew that HK residents needed these bridges with community, but during COVID, it just became huge. And a publication seemed, seemed to be the perfect format because they needed to come, they, they didn't need to come out for a gallery. Like their generation, they all read books. They're familiar with, with, big, with big format as well. Yeah, I think it was just a very good timing and a very good type of project for that for that crisis in a specific. I was revisiting in those um, two publications that we've done so far, um, just in preparation for this discussion, and was reminded that there's a reference to books and reading, you know, pretty consistently through them, and, and it's and it's not like a like you just described. It's it's because of a generate it's because of a generational connection yeah. to the physical yeah. as opposed to a. It's not like a meta strategy or anything that you're doing. It's it's no. really in the in the interlocutors uh, in the, the conversance uh, yeah. uh, lexicon. It's that's what they it's what they know. Um, just to describe the the publications for people, that they're they're large, they're tabloids, um, they're bigger than your average book. They're on a lightweight paper that folds easily. They're um, unbound, so they come apart like newspapers. They're folded, but they're uh, they're not stapled or, or otherwise attached and um, the type is is larger too but there's a lot of open space there's pause there's uh, shifts in in type and, and color in various ways to uh, emphasize mood and it's mostly the people you're you're talking with voice I mean there's some questions and there's some engagement that you put in as an interviewer for the most part we're, we're hearing from the people that you're talking with I would say. Um, in the case of uh, Esther, there's photographs of the flowers in her in her room. That's the the title of that issue from April 2021. And then with Joan, there's photographs of the space plus uh, some from the Zoom room that you both are engaged in. And I was also reminded that while the world, in a lot of ways, was in these were in these Zoom rooms um, for conversations, the book. Um, or you know, reflects that, documents that, but also you know, kind of uh, transgresses that as as you as you say, like they they move past that into this physical thing. And I don't know if I missed it, but like, how are these relationships initially formed with these women, and and how are you choosing who to spend time with and who to uh, to collaborate with? I guess each project has been very different. So uh, the first project that I did, I actually put a note in the newspaper saying. If you're over 80, I can't remember, but I think it's something like, if you're over 80 and you want to have your story documented, give me a call. So that's how I started. So I received a call. Oh, my, 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 my grandpa has an amazing story. Do you want to come for a visit? Yes. So then he recommended me to someone else and that person recommended me to someone else. So I started having all these uh, connections and I was visiting people in their homes. So that's the way I started. Then after that, I volunteered at a uh, like a respite center. So that's like a like a center where people come in just for the day. And I was running like a storytelling workshop, and we were working on a on a publication with a group of seniors. So all the relationships came out from that place. And then other people like I've met in the street. So I, I don't have like one recipe. Like it's been just very organic. So for the second volume, uh, the story about John. So I 
talk to her online for about an hour and a half or two hours every weekend. I mean, every week. So every Wednesday, we would talk via Zoom. Uh, I was taking some notes while discussing things. Pretty much, uh, she had dementia, so pretty much our conversations went, went exactly the same way every time we talked. But even when sometimes she didn't remember me, she kind of like knew that she could trust me. So uh, like we would immediately start like going into, into like very personal or very uh, detailed uh, conversations. Then from that, I transcribed about 45 hours of conversation. So I transcribed the whole thing and I didn't use any software. I don't know why. So I just did it myself. And from that, I printed out the conversations. I cut, cut out uh, the text. And in, in the studio at the university where, when I, uh, when, where I was teaching, I put the text on the wall. So I was just looking at this repetition, repetition, repetition. And I started by removing. So most of the work is about reduction. So I just took away, took away, took away, took away until I got to these very simple sentences and just very like kind of like light conversations. And I had a mix of, you know, memories, a mix of humor, a mix of like, you know, like descriptions of maybe the landscape, contemplative comments. Like I just had like a mix of, well, a mix of what she, she was in, in a way. And then from that, I made the first dummy just pasting these cutouts. And then I started going into the nursing home to show her the draft. So, so we started working on it together. So she was like, no, this sounds very strange. Like, just move that away. And so we started working on that together. And eventually, I printed out the first like final draft. And I came to see her. She liked it. And so we worked together for a bit. It took maybe six months to come up with the final draft. And uh, sadly, she passed away last year, but she got to see the publication. So we, we made a, a book launch in the HR home where we read uh, the story out loud. Yeah, so that was that was a process of the second volume. That's really, I gotta say, there's something really beautiful about um, all of that collaborative work. I wonder your thoughts about just starting out in you know, a documentary Ernest and I, I talk about this uh, you know a fair amount about you know the archive of care versus lack of care that can can occur in collecting works that are made with or by uh, other people you know mm -hmm. photographers out documenting events and you know taking portraits and and then that becomes their property if you will that becomes their, their they own that that yeah. work in some level um this doesn't sound like that at all this sounds like um a very you know effective responsible relationship that you're you're forming I, i'm just curious what your thoughts are on the shift yeah i i think that's very strong i think my approach to everything changed a lot since i started engaging with the book i think the book i don't know like it's it's almost like it obligates you to go a little bit closer hmm. and because the process is very slow then you need to be more careful there's more care into the work now, I don't think if I could ever go back to doing documentary photography the way I was doing it. Like, I think I'm way too close. I think my whole ethical uh, framework has changed way too much because I am very close to the subjects now. And I think the book is great at doing that. I think the book is great at slowing you down, making you think, you know, like being more conscious about the words that you use. It just it slows you down and it makes you closer. And documentary photography can be, I'm not saying all of it, but it can 
keep you always kind of like in the distance. Yeah, it's interesting. You talked about your entry into book being a desire to sh you know show the various light difference between light mm -hmm. and two different portraits that were very similar, which you know books will um, and they have the space to accommodate that kind of looking and that kind of that kind of slight shift to be able to reveal something slightly different or, or transformed. I wanted to go back to uh, Ulysses Carrion just a minute. Uh, that, that's yeah. uh, I'm a bit obsessed with that that uh, gentleman's uh, writings for uh, yeah. as long as I've uh, been uh, aware of them. For those who don't know, uh, Ulysses Carrion is a Mexican-born artist, critic, curator. He owned a bookstore in Amsterdam, where he eventually migrated to and lived for many years. And he was prominent in male art and other uh, scenes, but he was a, a really deep thinker about books as artworks and uh, the movement of objects between different parts of the world, uh, such as mail or such as books and how they kind of transgress boundaries and borders. And um, one of his key thoughts I always remind myself of is that he called books living organisms and that they live and they die just like people and or any organism. I, I wonder, since Carry On was a little bit of a, you know, stepping off point for you, I wonder, you know, did any of those ideas or his thoughts about book work and, and the world affect you in your, in your practice in this way? Yeah, well, I guess the first thing that, you know, talks to my work is, you know, this idea of the book as, as an artwork and not just as a container. So that's one of his big statements, you know, like the book is not a container. It's an actually, it's, a, it's, a, it's an artwork. So I guess ordinary books contain text and images. And I think what he was trying to say is that ordinary books, if you take the content out, so if you take the text and the images outside from the book and you put them on a wall, they mean exactly the same thing. So the actual physical book is not adding any meaning to that text or to that image. While in an artist's book, the physical book adds an extra layer to uh, the meaning of the, of the reading which means that the way you're sequencing, you know, the time that it takes from going to page one to page six, you know, the format, the, uh, the, the, the way you're using the space within the page, the, you know, the material, the transparency of the paper, all of these different physical qualities of the book actually add meaning to the meaning of the words or the relationship between words and images. When I understood, I read, you know, his texts about artist book many times, and there was a point where I'm like, I get it. I get it. And I actually got it while making. So it's like, yeah, the reader will read this word, will pass the page, will see this image, and it will create a meaning. And then when, they when, when the reader passes the page, it will go like, oh, no, it was actually this. So there's all these games that you can play with different meanings and relationships within the book that only passing the page can give you. So I, I, I think like, you know, passing the page is a very um, rich device that we can use for telling a story. So, yeah, so Ulysses Carrion was, uh, it's been a big influence in, in my work. And especially when I'm making, like I, I get to go back to these ideas and I make sure that, you know, if I'm not using those devices, then there's no need for having a book in front of me. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I actually go, I actually get to that point. It's like, I'm just pushing it. I, this doesn't need to be a book. This could be just a picture on the wall. That makes perfect sense. Those turnings and you know the way they can reveal or 
uh, obscure and make meaning is actually one of the great reasons to work in that form. And that plus the intimacy and the one-to-one the -one engagement that you get with it is quite important, I think, for the medium to work in, in that way. Uh, talk about a little how you, when we get the first one done, you you disseminated them, you put them out in Brisbane, right? In, in different places, you dropped them at those facilities? Yeah, the, uh, the first issue was delivered to different nursing homes. I was looking at distance or this loneliness that exists in these homes. So it's so just imagine there's a there's a home where where 150 residents live in. There's 100 staff members working in there, and yet most of the residents feel lonely. So like one of my questions is like, okay, how can we create projects or create spaces for connection? You know, how can we connect? And and I guess part of the um part of the problem is that staff members are very busy so slowing down is actually a luxury because as you know nursing homes are underfunded so having time to actually sit down and have a deep conversation and actually have space to listen to another person it's 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 not something that all staff can do in a you know every day so i was thinking you know how, how could we create projects that create this connection so when i delivered the publications into the nursing homes it was very interesting because i i just placed them there and i actually sat there with my laptop to do some work next to the publication. So I had the chance to actually hear comments when people were reading, you know, when they were passing the pages. And staff members were very surprised to find out the stories of these residents. Mm -hmm. So I had a staff members stopping me in the hallways going like, Anna, I can't believe because they knew me, like, you know, by the end of the project, they knew me. So they were stopping me, Anna, I can't believe that Joan have that that story like she's been living here for 16 years and i didn't know that she did that and that and that she was such a feminist and you know there were all these comments coming out from the words that they read which in a way was beautiful to hear but also quite concerning to understand that we needed someone else to come in to capture the stories to publish them to put them out for them to go like oh that person that is right there you know that i that i've been seeing for 16 years has a story, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it just takes my breath away a little bit. That's wild. Um, I mean, there's Surgeon General of the United States, uh, you know, he's like the sort of lead doctor of the US has made uh, loneliness the biggest concern of his tenure at this at this stage of uh, his Surgeon Generaldom. Uh, and it's disturbing, uh, you know, in, in these ways and um, that loneliness has pervaded such. Did you find that, there was any change in the, the direction for some of the you know the care workers after after having read that? Was there any opening up that, that occurred? No, I actually I, I think I have a lot a lot to say about that. Like after having the publications out, I ended up having a lot of group conversations in mm -hmm. the dining areas. So I would be like sitting there with the publications and residents would sit and staff members would sit down and we would discuss real discussions about age care, about you know, like things that they were living in that moment. So I think the book contributes in different, in different levels because it's very intimate and required a lot of relationship building with that person. That's the first layer of contribution, right? So I spent two years talking to a resident who was expecting me to go to visit her and I was the only visitor for the last few years in her life. So I'm talking about Joan. So for her, you know, we became really good friends and that's because I had this excuse, you know, in a, in a way. So that's, I think that's the first layer of contribution. It, it actually 
pushes you to be really close to the world. I think that's the way I see it. It's like it, these projects make you go out and touch the world and have to be very close and create these connections, which is amazing. That's alone, it's such a luxury to be able to do that. And then I think the next layer is how we bring this work into other fields and in a way, ask people to stop and look. You know, so I pretty much intervened the space by bringing these stories in. So the staff members who are very busy had to stop and look and in some way it moved you know their emotions and they made them think about their own relationship with the residents so that's i think that's the the, the next layer and i think that the third layer which was very evident is that the state manager of that big chain of nursing homes uh looked at the publication in a meeting and she asked to meet me so we met and a few months after she offered me a job she was like we want we, we want this in the system and you know for me at the beginning i was like no i want i want I, i'm an artist i want to be an outsider you know <laughs> like it's i end I, now i'm still working for them and part of my work is to bring a storytelling to bring some of these practices into the system to humanize to humanize the way and especially language the way we talk about residents the way we refer to things and for example now in where i'm working we have about I think six uh, carers, so uh, nurses or assistant in nursing, working on biographies. So part of the work now is actually go into rooms and write stories of residents. We are creating posters with stories. We are sharing the stories across the facility. So it's actually becoming part of the work. There's been a lot of pushback. You know, there's been a lot of resistance. It is a systematic change and changes are hard, as we know. But what I'm finding is that for caregivers, especially after COVID, you know, they, they've been through so much pain because it's been a massive amount of work that they've done. And it's been so stressful and isolated and badly paid that, you know, to give them space to actually sit down and have a conversation and write stories, it's a joy, you know, and that's, in that, that's the thing that art can do pretty well is that you can relax, you can be creative, you can actually build a connection, you can laugh, you, you can connect with your emotions. So I think in a way that's the third layer of you know what the book brought to this space. I mean that that all just is incredible. Um, the storytelling process. I mean, you mentioned that in one of the, I think the book with Joan, where you talk about the very human aspect of telling stories and what the paper, the newspaper book, is going to do for the reader is to open that up to understand who Joan is a little bit and to understand a little bit who Esther is. Do you have any more that are um, that are coming in terms of the publication uh, project itself? At the moment, I have an idea for the next publication, which I think I want it to be more like a collaboration between many residents and staff. So I think rather than having my voice in there, I think I want it to be a place for many voices to come in and out. I have a lot of notes. I'm actually, we created like a newsletter committee in, mm. in the HR home where we are. So we meet every two weeks. And I bring in artist books and we are deciding, you know, like what type of publication we want. And there's a lot of discussion. Last meeting was a disaster. The residents were like, no, this is not working. We hate all the publications that you're showing us. <laughs> like, yeah. So, um, and I'm like, no, just hang in there. Like the beginnings are hard, but I'm sure that we're going to come up with a great idea. So I think eventually if, if it works, I think it's going to be a publication. There's, there's someone who's already like, I'm going to be doing proofreading someone else wants to do photography. So I think it's going to be more like a, like a really community and uh, collaboration, not, not just me as an author. 
that's that's beautiful. The we've had a, a couple of other projects that have come through the residency program. Um, thinking of specifically of of one where the artist Anne Rosen worked with women who lived in a shelter, um, and we had to set it up with a you know a, a charities organization that um, actually ran the shelter, and they would bring women to BSW. Um, and, and it was essentially a, a storytelling and, and exactly what you're saying, like there was books on the table and scissors and paper and, and cameras and, and they were telling one another's stories uh, with each other for the first time in some cases and, um, and then we would make little books. It really transformed my experience of how artists can operate in the space with the system. Incidentally, we uh, I used um, that charities group to disseminate some of the papers through Rochester and, and put those out in the general area here as a way of circulation. Um, have you found that having them be so free and accessible um, to, for, for giving away, is, is that helps you know, communicate with, with people as a, as a form? Yeah, I think, so the book has been in different spaces. It's funny because I moved from, you know, being in an aged care home uh, with a book there on display for free. And, you know, like I, it's, I see the books with lots of like um, teacups marks. Yeah. You know, so people are using them to, to put their coffee on top and there's no sure. prestige, no, you know, like, it's like, yeah, of course, it's just like a newspaper. And I love seeing them being like being handled like that way. It's just another publication. Oh, and there's a story, and this is weird. I love listening to the comments. So I think being free has been great in that space. And and then the next weekend I can be in a gallery, showing it at a book fair, and you know, and people wanting to pay lots of money for it. I mean, I'm not. I'm, I think we're selling it for like thirty dollars. But it, I I think the beauty of publications like this is that they can fit in different spaces pretty well. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I, it's one of the books that when I go to book fairs, I I have a pay what you can or pay what you want um, section. And mm -hmm. I often give these away for free just to try to create that connection with people. I uh, just did one at a, at a, at a university here. And uh, there's a lot of um, interesting uh, folks at the at the university. It, it's it's a campus that really supports a lot of people with their neurodivergent, and um, there's a large uh, deaf community on on that particular yeah. campus. And yeah. um, it it was a real. I mean, it it has always since it was published. It's been um, a real dialogue starter. But I think just in terms of the uh, younger generation, almost a, in an opposite way, they're sort of marvel that the large scale of it you yeah. know that it, it's a very big physical object that i'm uh -huh. just hand, handing them to you know take away for free and it's it's very different from the kind of storytelling that they're experiencing more often yeah. on their on their phones and um, i've had a lot of it really interesting you know follow-up conversations with folks about how the process worked and what it meant for you to be in dialogue with people um, routinely. Are you still able to do the deeper dialogues with people over multiple years as part of the, the work that you're continuing? I think my work at the moment changed a lot. I mean, I see the same residents every single day, but I'm mm. not spending as much time as before with each one of them. So I'm seeing more residents, but less time. I'm actually loving like being part of, well, being in the system, as you said, as, as an artist, and I'm bringing these other Kind of like sensitivity you know like showing things from a different perspective and i think i think that many times as artists we undervalue our skills our, our soft skills 
and these are important, especially when in you know in in areas where um, we are building relationships. So one example that I have, and this is this is related. Actually, it came from Melissa's carrion. So it's insane. I was working in this HR home with the system. I was actually putting data into the system, like nothing related to arts, and I realized that the place where we put all of the information is not friendly for reading. So I thought we can't actually convey and comprehend the meaning of all of this because we, are, we don't know how to use the space. We don't know how to use the space on the page. So from that, I started looking at other devices within the institution on how to deliver this information. So what I'm trying to say is that I'm not making artist books in my, in my daily work, but I'm actually bringing this, this knowledge you know, about communication, knowledge about text, knowledge about space, knowledge about, you know, pacing down that comes from literature and from reading and from poetry into this other space and it works. Like I actually see it, it's like, oh my God, this actually works. So one example are name tags. So we were using very, very small font, you know, with our, with our names and well, we're talking about residents, so their vision is not great. So we moved from having like very small font to having huge name tags, probably like 22 font size. So very big relationships changed. You come into a room and the resident can, can call you by your name straight away. There's a sense of pride around that. Staff members, you hear them going, hey, John, hey, Mark, how are you, Anna? So suddenly we all know each other's names. So 300 people in that home can call each other by their name because we change the font size. Hmm. So again, it's like, this is what, what it required was someone with the ability to go like, oh, that could be changed in a second. And, you know, as artists, we look at those nuances. Like as artists, we understand those little things because we're constantly trying to find ways of communicating. So yeah, like I'm enjoying seeing how storytelling and narrative knowledge can actually be applied to other systems and it's it's tangible wonderful yeah <laughs> um as we were talking about joan i it occurred to me that i wanted to ask you about your own grandmother you mentioned in i think in one of the publications that i think it was with the joan publication mm -hmm. that you had not seen her in some time or you recalled your your conversations with her mm -hmm. has that relationship affected the work at all or yeah. where, where it's gone I only met one of my grand my grandparents. So my dad's mm. grandmother is the only grandmother that I met. And I grew up uh, very closely to her. She passed away when I was about 20. So that's like many years ago. When I came to live in Australia, one of the first cultural shocks that I experienced was seeing a lot of older people on their own. Like I like I was like, oh my God, that, that person is very old and is crossing the street on her own. Like why? <laughs> so and I guess coming from Mexico, and it's not that we don't see older people on their own in the street, but I think we are just naturally more attached. And because it's a different different community, different way of living, we live differently, right? So for me, it was very shocking at the beginning. Why do we have so, why, why are there so many older people on their own? So I guess, yeah, I guess my background, my background comes in at some point. You know, because I, I grew up in a family who were very close to each other. My grandmother was like the, you know, the chief of the tribe, you know, like she, she would like sit at the table and we would all like sit around her because she was the most respectful person in the family. So I guess 
yeah, I guess part of the work at the beginning, especially was like, okay, I want to celebrate the stories and I want to let them know that we do care, that we, we do want to hear the stories, that we do care about their wisdom. I mean, I, I almost never talk about this, this part of the work, but yeah, I think um, that's, that's kind of like what pushed me to do, to do, to document this type of stories. Uh, just because you have daughters, correct? Do you, do you bring your, your children into the facilities at all? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The girls, my girls. I have two girls, and they they have spent lots of time in the facility. They come in when we have, you know, like a special lunch, and they serve. They've done all sort of work there. So yeah, they are very familiar with uh, all of the work that I do. When you mentioned the launch, I I think about it was, I I'm just so uh, taken with the idea that you're spending as much time and effort and and care not over you know, a cultural audience that you, you know, you're trying to extract from the community, but within a community that you're putting that effort into all the different um, aspects of producing work, you know, what, what it means to not only create it, but to then um, share it and put it into the community in a careful way. I'm really thrilled to have been able to support it in any capacity through the residency and the workshop and the publications that we do and, and to continue to share them it's uh, it's a real pleasure yeah no no like the pleasure is fine it's been great like i'm very grateful for all the help and i think it was just the perfect timing to you know having met you at that time and i think the quality of the printing and everything is just fantastic so it's been it's been great so thank you so much thank you yeah and there you have it So the opening pages of each issue begins with a letter from Anna to the reader. Here is Anna in her own voice reading the first page of issue one. Dear reader, you are about to read some conversations between Esther and myself, which took place in her care facility in Brisbane, Australia during COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. For several weeks, we met in her room to have long chats about various random themes. I'm very grateful that Esther has trusted me to share part of this experience with you through this publication. I hope you enjoy it. Sincerely, Anna. If you would like a copy of Anna's publications, you may find them in the BSW online bookstore. The link is in the show notes where you will also find a link to Anna's website, which has beautiful renderings of her artist books and photographs of her conversations with Esther. To learn more about the Visual Studies Workshop, please visit us at vsw.org, where we have information about the project-based residency and our current artists in residence. Keep following us on Twitch and Instagram at the Visual Studies Workshop, and feel free to send me an email at ernezdavis at vsw.org. This podcast is funded in part by the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of New York State Legislature and the Leonian Foundation. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Tate Shaw and Ana Paula Estrada. To end our episode, here is Ana again, reading her open letter to the reader from issue two. Dear reader, this publication reveals parts of my conversations and interactions with Joe Nolan, an HK resident who lives close to my home in Brisbane, Australia. I met Joan for the first time through a video call on a rainy morning during the city's first COVID-19 lockdown in 2020. Since then, we have seen each other on a weekly basis, 
we have listened to a lot of music and have had long chats about our personal stories and views on life. I am truly grateful that Joan has welcomed me into her life and that she has allowed me to share this work with you. Sincerely, Anna.